0: Psalm 56, for the director of music, to the tune of a dove on distant oaks, a psalm of David, when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. All day long they press their attack. My slanderers pursue me all day long. Many are attacking me in their pride. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? All day long they twist my words. They're always plotting to harm me. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, eager to take my life. On account of them, on, account, on no account let them escape. In your anger, O God, bring down the nations. Record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, O God. I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, each time a disaster of some sort takes place, photographers are usually there to record something of the destruction left behind. And so we've seen the pictures of the devastation left behind by earthquakes and by wildfires and by floods and by earthquakes. We have seen pictures of refugees stuck stuck in camps or fleeing from oppression And the misery and the tears are very evident. We've seen pictures of the carnage left by the van that plowed through the people on the streets of Toronto. And who can forget the pictures of the horror at the intersection of the carnage left by the van, oh sorry, of the the intersection in Saskatchewan that took the life of 16 people connected with the Humboldt Broncos. In each situation, not only do the photographers train their cameras on the destruction, on the mess all around, but they also tell us a human story. And so we see people whose lives are in shambles, and we see lots of tears. Each day again, it seems there are events that seem to highlight how weak and vulnerable we are, events which make us shed tears and weep. And sometimes it seems, it seems like little can be done to stem the tide of tears. At home in our midst here, too, there are all kinds of tears. Some of us continue to mourn the loss of a loved one. And there are moments that we're overwhelmed by that and the tears flow. Some of us who are older think that all we ever do lately is go to funerals. Death is surely a producer of a great deal of tears, not only at the time of loss, but sometimes even years later. When thinking about those who have gone before, it doesn't take much for tears to come, because the empty spot can be so real and hurt so much, even after years after the loss, and especially on special occasions like Christmas or when we change from one year to another. Of course, there's many reasons for tears. They're not only brought on by death. Some of the tears shed by us are tears of frustration, of simple pain, of disappointment and hurt because of broken relationships, lost loves, a lost future, a lost child, a lost job, a loss of career, an inability to conceive, Children wander from the Lord. Children refuse to obey. Parents just don't seem to understand. The peer pressure is too much. We have failed at something. We can't seem to find a partner for life, and we're left alone. We experience bullying or some other sort of abuse, and we don't know what to do with it, and we weep. Of all things, we have to share our children With ex-spouses, such realities bring their own set of problems and tears. Or perhaps you're weeping privately over what's happening in your own life or over something that's happening to a family or a friend or whatever, but you're not telling anyone about it. Some of us feel terribly alone in our pain, and of course such loneliness only adds more tears to our lives. Life can sometimes seem very unfair to us. All sorts of things afflict us, whereas others seem to be left alone, and they're able to sail, sail through life relatively untouched. And as we think about those inequities, why do we have to suffer, and others kind of float through life, tears, may again, easily flow. And much of this tends to be highlighted when we're faced with feasts like Christmas with all of its expectations and all of its manufactured cheer. And in the midst of our tears, we sometimes ask ourselves the question, does anyone care what happens to me? Does anyone really understand the sorts of things I struggle with in life? My depression, my private illness is not something that I can share with others, and so I'm all alone. Does anyone even care? Oh, how I wish life was different than it is. And Again, tears are easy to come by. Now, the question is, what do we do with all these tears, which are very real in life? Does anyone even care, or are all the tears we weep merely wasted? Listen to what verse 8 of Psalm 56 says, and let it sink in for a moment. Let me give it to you in two more modern translations from the New Living Translation. It says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, you've kept track of my every toss and turn through the sleepless nights. Each tear entered in your ledger, each ache written in your book. Amidst all the tears, the good news is that God cares. And the good news is that he even collects all of our tears. He he saves them. Imagine that. That is wonderful imagery. Poetic, yes, but wonderful. So special, so wonderful is the God we serve. In the subtitle of Psalm 56, we read that this particular psalm is credited to David. And what becomes quickly obvious is that David is not having a good time of it in life. Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me all day long. They press their attack. Verse 1. The young shepherd boy, now famous, was a wanted man, wanted by everyone, it seems, The Philistines wanted him because when he was a youth, he defeated Goliath. On that occasion, David, the young shepherd boy, had made a laughing stock of the Philistines, a mere boy causing the Philistines to lose the battle and defeating one of their mightiest warriors. And in retaliation, they actually apparently caught him somewhere along the line, since it's noted that the occasion for this psalm was written when the Philistines had seized David in Gath. Well, not only the Philistines wanted him, but Saul and his men were out to get David too. Since David had become the newly anointed king of Israel, thereby becoming a threat to Saul's throne, David ended up running for his life from his own king. He had to watch his every step. No place was safe in Israel for David. And then, of course, he had the challenges from his own children to the throne. How are you doing, David? How's life? Well, David had no problem giving an answer, whether we wanted to hear it or not. He lets us know that he's not doing very well. He's tired. He's hungry. He's afraid for his life. He's aware of all the plots against him and his lack of safety They conspire, verse 6, they conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, eager to take my life. Imagine living like that. And while being pursued and having to look over his shoulder all the time, David, in righteous anger, asks the Lord, in verse 7, to do something about the enemy. To do something about his situation. He prays that the Lord would bring down all those who stand opposed to him and to the kingdom of heaven. Something was unfair here. Now, the servant of the Lord had a way, uh, can, could speak this way because he, he fully recognized who he was talking to. He was talking to his father in heaven. This was a son asking his father for protection, asking his father for justice on behalf of the child. It's interesting when reading the psalms, you discover it's so often that the psalmists just let the Lord know what they're thinking. There's an honest, open relationship with the Lord, which sometimes make us, makes us wonder if what's being said is even appropriate. But when one has a trusting relationship, such openness is possible and even encouraged. By the Lord. David could talk to God as if God were his daddy, his Abba, father. And this kind of relationship is possible in Christ Jesus and through the working of the Holy Spirit. The intimate understanding of who God was in his life is made even clearer to us in verse 8 of Psalm 56 Record my lament, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? David hereby expresses his belief, well-founded, that each day of his wandering through the wilderness, each cave and rocky nook in which he has found shelter for the night or for the storm, each step that he has taken, every evasive action he has taken to escape his enemies, even pretending that he was insane in Gath, Everything that he did and was doing had been noted by the Lord. And as a result, David didn't feel in the least forsaken by the Lord. He expresses his trust in the Lord, his God, a God who was at his side. And because that's so, he had nothing to fear of others. What can man do to me? As the Apostle Paul wrote, if God is for us, who can be against us? David is very much aware that the ultimate victory over the enemy will be his. Because, not because of him, but because of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who was even then working out his plan of salvation through the covenant he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as well as with David. And David speaks of such an intimate relationship with the Lord that he claims, as it were, that the Lord sits at his bedside, and every time he turns in his bed, every time he tosses, the Lord makes a note of it. He writes it down. From verse 8, we get a picture, as it were, of a father sitting at the bedside of his troubled son, watching and guarding him and soothing him in his sleep and in his troubles. And one can just see the father sitting there with a notebook keeping track of what some great hurt or distress had done to his child. And then the psalmist also goes ahead and asks the Lord to collect his tears in a bottle, in a wine flask, and record the amount. And he asks the Lord to treasure his tears. Not one should fall to the ground and be lost. The child asked that each tear be recorded in the book of the Lord. David did not want his suffering or his sleepless nights or his endless tears to be of no importance or to be wasted. As far as he was concerned, these two ought to have their place in life and in the plan of God and also have a purpose. And the purpose of these, rec- re- these records and these collected tears, according to Psalm 56, is that when God sees the injustice, when God sees the pain inflicted on one of his children, and when the Lord sees and reads the results of the pain in terms of the tossing and the turning and the amount of tears collected in a bottle or wineskin flask, then the Lord will respond. And will deliver his child, will deliver his servant. Job, in the midst of his misery and with the knowledge that his suffering was not the direct result of some sin that he had committed, said in chapter 19, Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool or lead or engraved in rock forever. So that they could be remembered and recorded. That's the same sort of thing said by David and for the same person purpose. If Job should die from his misery and suffering, then at least future generations and more importantly, the Lord should know that he was righteous and that something should be done about the injustice and the pain caused. Because it's recorded, it's there, it's remembered. The request is that the Lord record the suffering so it may be reviewed and that the Lord, the righteous God, then do something about it and set it all straight. Who cares how I'm doing? God does, says the psalmist. Are my tears wasted? No hope. God, my Father in heaven, cares so much that he makes notes of my tossing and turning and catches my tears in a bottle. He treasures them. One writer reflecting on this passage wrote, this sounds as silly as that expression in the Bible that not a hair can fall from my head without his sovereign will. Isn't that exaggerating things? In the first place, who cares about the number of my hairs? Likewise, the tossing in my bed and the tears I shed are of little importance. I try not to pay attention to them, and I try to hide them from loved ones. Indeed, who cares about the tears we weep? Who cares about all the things that cause us to cry? Who really cares whether or not life is unfair for us? Who really cares about injustice that we sometimes have to suffer. Who cares? Well, David would have us know, the Bible would have us know, that God cares. For God is not some far off, removed from reality, great spirit in the sky. No, God, the God of the Bible cares about you and me, and he cares about what we think and about what we feel. He cares so much, as a matter of fact, that he became like us in the person of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus took on our flesh and blood and became like us in every way, except that he didn't sin, and he even wept the death of Lazarus in fact God loves us so much that he gave up the glory of heaven and humbled himself in the likeness of man and then he's promised to be with us till the close of the age and throughout the time that we are here on earth and throughout the time that he was on earth he didn't necessarily change disagreeable situations or conditions But he did promise to walk with us through it all and to hold on to us. And so the reality is we still have to face struggles and persecution and financial difficulties and broken relationships and disabilities and accidents and illness and even death on this earth and in this life. But as believers, as David would testify in Psalm 56, We don't face these things alone. The Lord is right there with us regarding our tossing and our turning, collecting our tears. All the misery of the ages, your and my misery, is recorded in the heavenly books. It caused the Lord to act in the past. He sent his Son. It caused the Lord to set in motion the great plan of salvation which will culminate with the coming again of Jesus. And when Jesus comes again, all the written down pain and all the collected tears, the bottles full of tears will be answered in that then all things will be made new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be no longer any tossing and turning in bed because of the struggles in life. There will be no more collection of tears because there will be no more tears. The day will come when God's people will be vindicated and suffering will be something of the past, when the books will be opened and responded to. And what a day that will be. Record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? That's a rhetorical question with the assumed answer that of course they are recorded. Of course the tears are collected. After all, he is God. He is our Father in Christ Jesus. And it's to him that we belong body and soul, in life and in death. Surely, in a tear-filled world, this is our comfort. Amen.